Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When I think about serial killers, I think about somebody who has an MO, somebody who has a modus operandi. I think about a predator stalking a victim, killing the victim. And when, when I think about this, it's a very manual process where maybe like a creepy guy is standing across the street or coming up against a window to look into the house. And maybe in today's day and age, you have a couple of creeps on dating apps or sliding into your DM if your profile is public. But what you don't expect is to meet a killer on an online tutoring app for students or parents of students. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we are covering the case of the South Korean true crime killer. I wasn't able to find much about Jang Yu Jang's childhood other than the fact that it was difficult and that she grew up poor. We also know that she was kind of left by her parents to be raised by her grandfather. And this isn't too unusual in East Asia, especially when parents have to move to another city to work. But it seems that in this case, she didn't have a good relationship with her parents. And what's interesting is that you might think that she became closer to her grandfather, but this wasn't true. And according to the same article by Korea Boo, she wasn't close to either her parents or her grandfather. She apparently was a shy and quiet kid in school. And after high school, it's described, it's presumed that she wasn't accepted into any universities. It's also said that she didn't have any close friends. And I think when you don't spend time with people, you end up being a little bit awkward. And the reality is that in Korea and a lot of Asian countries, when you're applying to like a white collar job or a job with a company, they'll ask you for your degree. While some, you might say that it's not necessary, it's much, much harder without. And I think because of this combination of like social awkwardness and lack of degree, it became really hard for her to find a job. Now, at this point, it's assumed that she was living with her grandfather and she would say that she was studying for the civil service examinations in Korea. And honestly, this wasn't a bad excuse because most people spend years studying for the civil service examination. But in reality, in her spare time, she was actually watching a lot of true crime documentaries and reading a lot of true crime novels. In Korea, they have a lot of focus on academics and so there's a lot of cram schools where students will go after school to continue studying and there are a lot of tutors around so for private tuition for group tuition so honestly really not that different from singapore 
And so, on top of that, they also have dedicated apps, phone applications for finding a tutor online. And these apps would actually go through a lot of effort in order to verify the tuition teacher's details. So, for example, if you said that you are a student at Seoul National University, it would ask you to like, oh, why don't you upload a transcript or show me a student card to show that you are indeed a student at the same time. On the other side of the coin, they didn't really put that much effort to verify the parents because usually it was the parents booking the tuition teachers and the parents paying for the tuition teachers. So one day, 23-year-old Jung, she signs up as somebody searching for a tutor on the app. And she signs up as a parent looking for an English tutor for her ninth grade daughter. So that would be like a 14-15 year old girl. And while on this application, this tuition teacher matching application, she connects and contacts 54 tutors. And the reason why, the creepy reason why she spent so long filtering through all the different people and the different tutors was that it seemed that she was trying to find a female tutor who lived alone. And she wanted to have a lesson at the tutor's house. And she manages to find somebody and I believe the family, the victim's family has chosen to keep her anonymous but it's believed that the victim attended one of the three big prestigious Korean universities. So that would be either Seoul National University, Korea University or Yonsei University. Now we fast forward to two days before May 26, 2023. And interestingly enough, two days before this date, we have a record of her calling her father. And during this phone call, she actually asked her dad to apologize for her difficult childhood, for her difficult upbringing. And she told him that she was going to do a big crime and if she caused big harm, he would suffer. And then she actually told him, I'm going to do harm and then die which is a very big red flag and we don't want to judge but it doesn't seem that anything happened after that but we also don't know because her father hasn't come out and said anything about this and in reality is how many people will take this kind of statement seriously you know you'll just think that oh your kid is being dramatic and now we fast forward two days to may 26 Jung somehow manages to buy an old school uniform, probably on a second-hand marketplace like Carousel, so a second-hand school uniform. And then she changes into it, and because of how young she looks and how short she is, she can easily pass for a student. She shows up at the tuition teacher's house for her quote-unquote lesson, and when she was in she stabbed the tuition teacher, she stabbed her victim and it's said that she stabbed her close to 110 times, that's a lot and she kills her but for somebody who watched a lot of true crime and read a lot of true crime novel she seemed very unprepared, she leaves the apartment to go out to buy trash bags and bleach and the whole time while she's doing this, the CCTV of her looking very unsettling. She seems very calm, very happy. She's almost skipping down the street. It's believed that she returns back to the tuition teacher's house where she dismembered her victim and she places some of the body parts into a suitcase and in addition to dismembering her victim, she also damaged certain body parts like her fingerprints so it would be harder to identify and I'm guessing that these are the details that she learned from watching true crime. 
and she places some of those body parts into a suitcase. And at some point of time, we're not sure if it's right after the murder or after the dismemberment, she realizes that she has some blood on her fake school uniform. So she actually changes into the clothes belonging to her victim because she's in her victim's house. And then late, late at night, she takes the suitcase and then gets a taxi. And she takes the taxi to a park by the Naktong River. And it was a little bit suspicious that she was going with a suitcase to a river rather than like maybe the airport or someone's house or even a hotel. And so it's said that the taxi driver thought that she was behaving a little bit strangely. So he actually stayed around the park to observe her. And depending on different sources, I've read this across different sources, it said that she actually walked back to the same taxi and she didn't notice that it was the same taxi and the same taxi driver. And this time, the taxi driver, one thing that he did notice was how light her suitcase seemed to be compared to before. So before, she was like dragging, she was struggling with the suitcase, but right now she was just like pulling it along. And so the taxi driver, he calls the police and Zhang is arrested. And since she was arrested literally where she was dumping parts of the body, they were able to find the victim's remains as well as some blood-stained clothes. The rest of the body was found in the home. Initially, when the police were questioning her, she said that she killed her victim because they got into an argument and it was just like a spur-of-the-moment thing. And the thing is that they had a lot of evidence. And so she eventually even changed her story to the fact that, oh, somebody else killed the victim, but I was just taking care of the body. And I think between the evidence and her family telling her to confess, she eventually did confess. And some of the things that the police found on her devices were really alarming. So she searched for things like parenticide, which is killing your parents. And so it looks like it might have been that she considered that. Her search terms also included murder without a corpse. So it looks like she was trying to make her victim seem like she went mysteriously missing or ran away. Especially because she took her victim's phone and wallet and IDs. So the things that people usually take with them when they're going somewhere. And of course, she also did a very classic internet search on quote-unquote how to murder. The police also found memos, so little notes written by her, including, quote, cannot release her anger if she does not kill, end quote. She also scored really high on this test called the psychopath checklist. Now, she took the test twice, and we're going to look at her highest score, and this was about 28. And so this test, this psychopath checklist test is out of 40, and usually the cutoff is 25 to be considered a psychopath in the United Kingdom and 30 in the United States. So it's pretty high and definitely not in the normal range. Now, a few experts did comment on the case and there's a couple of more common theories, including A, that she was jealous of a victim and she wanted to take over her victim's life, especially given the fact that she had the victim's phone and IDs. Some people also lean into the fact that she said that she was curious about killing and maybe the years of isolation made it so that she had difficulty distinguishing between fantasy and reality. They also support this theory by saying that she wanted to kill someone so badly that she didn't even plan properly with her clothes, with the cleanup. And during trial, she actually did apologize 
to the victim's family, saying she doesn't know why she did it and that she must have gone out of her mind. And currently, I believe her trial is still ongoing and she's currently imprisoned in a single room, in a solitary room, in the Women's Detention Centre in Busan. Now, while I was researching this case, I actually read a comment that was kind of scary on Reddit. So now, Zhang Yujang was an example of a person who wanted to commit a crime, wanted to commit one of the most horrible crimes, and use true crime content as a resource. And she actually managed to kill somebody before she was caught. And because of her demeanor after crime, she seemed almost like happy with herself. And there are internet theories, and again, internet theories are completely unqualified, that she may have become a serial killer if she wasn't caught. But what is actually scary is how there might be people who use true crime content as a playbook and are not caught. Which, I guess, again, brings in the question of what is ethical true crime content. Alright, so now we're going to take a look at the comment section in Spotify again. And today's comment is by Oliver. And he says, Re-listening to all your episodes is so cool. It's so amazing to hear how you've grown into podcasting. Great work, as always. Smiley face. Thanks, Oliver. I think it's been almost like three years. And I can't believe that this is... This was just a lockdown project. Well, as always, you can find us on Instagram at a briefcase podcast and online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another briefcase.